Percy Jackson reread podcast. I am one of your hosts, Janie, and this is your other host, Jacqueline. And I'm Jacqueline. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another beautiful podcast day. Today, I hope you enjoy our little in-flight movie. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, watching the movie of the next few chapters, but there's not actually a movie. We're not actually watching a movie, so don't get confused with us watching the actual movie. Are you okay? Did you get confused about what we're doing this week? We're not on the movie yet. No, we're going to be doing the movie after we're done with the chapters. But in a way, these are some very cinematic chapters. Kind of? They are? Nah. I'm really confused. I don't know. Should I, should I do my summaries? Uh, Yeah, go for it. Let's, let's. Do we want to jump right into summaries? Do we have any Percy Jackson-related news? Uh, not that I know of. I mean, there there have been some listicles, like, like, 10 things we want to see the new Percy Jackson series on or whatever, but I don't, come on, who cares? Yeah, I just very professionally typed Percy Jackson into the DuckDuckGo news tab in the middle of recording, and it's literally just five things we'd like to see from the Disney Plus series. Let a, uh, yeah, we got some, we got some dense chapters this week, so I will jump right into it. Hell yeah. Chapter 17. We shop for waterbeds. After using their Lotus cars to take an express trip to Santa Monica and discussing their growing doubts about whether or not Hades is really the culprit who stole the Master Bolt, the gang arrives at the beach and, when Percy walks into the Pacific, he is guided by a shark to the same spirit he spoke to in the Mississippi, who gives him three magical emergency-use pearls before leaving. They wander around Hollywood, dodge the cops, and escape some muggers by running into Krusty's waterbed palace to hide. The proprietor shows them around, but when he traps Annabeth and Grover, they realize Krusty's actually the giant Procrustus, who stretches travelers' bodies to meet the dimensions of his beds. Percy tricks Krusty onto a bed, uses the same command Krusty used earlier to trap him, and then beheads him. Afterwards, they find a pamphlet with the Underworld's address on it just one block away. Chapter 18, Annabeth Does Obedience School. The gang arrive at DOA Recording Studios, where they encounter Caron, the Italian suit-wearing ferryman of the dead. After tempting him with drachmas and the possibility of a pay-raise negotiation with Hades, he takes him across the polluted river Styx, and they arrive at the entrance of the Underworld. After talking a bit about the judges of the dead, how they send spirits to different regions of the underworld, depending on what they did in life, they encounter Cerberus, and Annabeth uses a red rubber ball she got from the Waterland Park to get Cerberus to fetch, sit, and stay, while they run through the now unguarded entrance. Chapter 19. We find out the truth. Sort of. Our heroes travel through the underworld, absorbing its various regions. The Fields of Asphodel, the Fields of Punishment, Elysium, and the Isles of the Blessed, where heroes reside. Eventually, they arrive at Hades Palace, which is when Grover's flying sneakers suddenly start flying on their own, and nearly send them plummeting into the deepest pits of the underworld, Tartarus, which is what Percy's been dreaming of. Grover manages to kick the shoes off, and the gang escape before the voice in the pit can suck them in. They get into Hades' palace, and he's pissed at them for coming there. He thinks Percy stole Hades' home of darkness, and uses it to take the bolt. He's threatening to unleash the dead back in the world, and Percy has a realization, unzips the backpack he got from Ares, and finds that he really does have the Master Bolt. Hades reveals that he's been holding Percy's mom captive, and Percy knows they have to get out of there so they can get to Olympus, but they only have three pearls. Not enough to get out of there while still bringing his mom. Grover and Annabeth both offer to stay behind, but he can't bring himself to sacrifice his friends. He promises his mom he'll come back for her, uses the pearls to take the gang back up to Santa Monica Bay, and they see, in the distance, Los Angeles ravaged by earthquakes on the day of the solstice. So what do you think of the chapters this week? Uh, I really enjoyed these. There's just like a lot of diverse things that I really like about them. Uh, what about you? What were your thoughts on them? I, I like to, we're getting into the climax of the story, kind of. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is, 
a pretty fair buildup and we're in like the last six chapters region um this is an appropriate place for the story to like kind of push all the side stuff to the side and you know start getting down to like the brass tacks of it i guess yeah for sure we're getting a lot of like um like arcs that have run throughout most of this book getting like resolved or tied up in these set chapters yeah, and it's it's interesting because like take the the first chapter, which is when they uh, encounter Procrustes or Procrustes Procrustes. I'm not sure. Crusty the clown. When they encounter Crusty, this is maybe my favorite like encounter so far. It's so it's so like creative and funny as like an adaptation of that story. It really is. Plus, like. I don't know. It's a really unexpected villain, right? We've so far yeah. got like Medusa. Like, okay, yeah, of course Medusa's going to be in there. Who was it? Knuckles the Echidna. Oh, the Echidna. And with this one, you just get like this random like I'm I'm a giant who Theseus killed, and like that's <laughs> that's good to like that's really good. Um, especially since this is like gr- the first time Percy's really had to do it all on his own. Yeah. I think like like the way that Percy confronts his problems in these chapters is really interesting. We get two separate occasions where he like talks his way out of a confrontation with someone a lot more powerful than him. It's good continuity with the fact that Echidna kicked the absolute shit out of them. Yeah, it's really good that we see Percy as like he's maybe like okay at fighting. He's a lot better when he has water splashed on him, but he's showing his like strengths now. He's a he's a he's a wily kid. And that that's really, yeah. It's cool that we've gotten to sort of establish that because like like in the Procrustes chapter, he basically has to like he basically like on the fly invents this plan of like getting getting Procrustes talking and like getting him to like lay down on his own bed. It's very like it's very funny, but it's also very like indicative of Percy's character. Yeah, like Again, it's a really funny scene and it's a funny interaction, but also like, yeah, Percy engaged with this guy on like a level that he wanted to talk on. So of course he's going to like go along with whatever Percy is saying. Absolutely. It shows that Percy is is like actually pretty smart and fairly perceptive. And that kind of follows with what we know of Percy as a character because he he is somebody who is like pushed around by adults all the time. He's got this abusive stepdad and I assume that he interacts with him in much the same way, which is like appeasing him and then you playing on his own field to sort of be able to safely interact there. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of that, but that's a really good point that like Percy will never get, has never gotten anywhere in life before by like kicking back. He has to be a lot more clever about it than that. Yeah. And I think what what made me love this scene was because I was terrified of it as a kid. This was like really mm-hmm. scary to me. This is like the kind of like I guess body horror that like kids like get really embroiled. Like imagine you're just like somebody is just like stretching your body until you're like like a, a foot taller. That's terrifying. I I wasn't worried about that as a kid. I was really tall for my age, so I was worried about getting strapped to the bed and getting my limbs cut off. <laughs> That's I don't know. I'm not sure which is scarier. But mm, I think getting getting cut apart. I don't know. I like I'm imagining like my ligaments just like being stretched like putty and like like slowly tearing. Like they'll never work the same again, even if I do survive. It's a much slower death. It feels like. Mm, yeah, I guess so. But what this scene became like a favorite for me when Percy snaps his fingers, Krusty gets tied to the bed, and Percy is just like like so decisive in what he does. Per- yeah. Percy goes on a complete no mercy run here. <laughs> he legitimately like he delivers like a one liner in his head. <laughs> he's like he's like no, he says it out loud. <laughs> Right, right, because he says, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, a few simple adjustments, I think I'll start with the top, and then beheads him. God, and in his head, he's saying, like, I guess it's not in his head, but, like, the writing um, is really good here, because it's just, like, I swung the sword, Krusty stopped making offers. Yeah, that's, that's just really good. Yeah, I... I am enraptured. 
Like, this is how you elegantly do combat in fiction to me. Yeah, that's been, like, really strong, like, throughout this entire book. Absolutely. Like, Percy isn't just, like, he's not just, like, head-to-head brawling with people. He and the others being put into situations where they have to think of clever and inventive ways to navigate without, like, people being hurt. There's always, like, personal stakes, usually, at least. Yeah. that's that makes this um all this all this combat a lot more like gripping yeah it's not just like the writer listing sword moves they found on wikipedia yeah and believe me i love a good sword move but like sometimes i just (laughs) want to hear about how how percy just like lops the guy's head off yeah although i think this does this does lend some credence to the otherwise completely insane news report from earlier in this chapter where what does it say (laughs) Is Percy Jackson a delinquent, a terrorist, or perhaps the brainwashed victim of a frightening new cult? He did try to stab a kid earlier, and then he did behead this guy, so they might be onto something. Yeah, when, I didn't mention it in the summary, but when Percy gets mugged, they just, like, he just swings his sword at them. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> they're, they're fine, because it just passes right through them, and they, like, probably can't see it, because, <laughs> like, it's, like, uh, Greek bronze or whatever. So it doesn't hurt them. But it's like, Percy, what are you doing? Also, we've got we've got Gabe on TV again, right? And yeah. He's he's being interviewed by Bar- by Barbara Walters. I don't know who that is. She's like a really like big like uh because I was I feel like in the localized version they should change it to like K Burley or something. Just like one of those universally hated news anchors. She's like a really um like she was like the like the interview pe- person who like always did like the really popular like TV news interviewer. Do you know Nancy Grace? Nope. Nancy Grace was a um it's not worth it. Okay. <laughs> I don't so know. what you're saying is that Barbara Walters is mid 2000s Shane Dawson. Oh my god. Uh <laughs> Moving on. Um <laughs> Is Sugar a prostitute? Excuse me? It, I just... Who? Uh, when Uncle Gabe is, whatever his name is, on TV, he's, right. he's said, honest, Miss Walter, if it wasn't for Sugar here, my grief counselor, I'd be a wreck. I and like apparently think... she's like a young blonde lady. I mean, I think the two readings of it are like, this is Gabe's new like side piece or whatever, or his new girlfriend now that Percy's mom is in Hades. Yeah. Um, Or else like... My or like the the alternative reading of it is that like everybody like this is someone who is like really into like ugly bastard hentai <laughs> <laughs> and I she's can't just believe like, that Percy Jackson was the first NTR dojin I ever read. God, I hate it. I hate saying those words. <laughs> But that's all I can think of when I when I like hear and see Gabe. I think um, that says more about you than it does about the book. Honestly. I don't think that's. I think this is. I think this is textual. <laughs> uh, early, so we kind of skip to the end of the uh, chapter. But earlier on, there's we're they're in a taxi on the way there. Mm-hmm. And they have, I would say, like a pretty blunt conversation about like the whole mystery of the book. What did you, what did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was like, like textbook. You know that old aphorism that's like, you film a scene of people talking at a table for five minutes, and it's just the audience will probably sleep through that. But if you tell the audience there's a bomb under the table and then film the scene, they'll be like enraptured the whole time. Yeah. Like, we have the one critical piece of information that all the characters are missing. And I think that makes this, like, really gripping as, like, tension building. That's really true. Because, like, you know, there's a little bit of dramatic irony in there. Um, Mm -hmm. And it makes for a really, like, I think this is, like, this is, like, the dividing line between, like, trusting the reader versus building up, like, a considerate mystery. Like, Mm -hmm. on one hand, like Rick didn't have to write in like them talking about like is Hades really like I don't know because and then like like have them like list all their hints and stuff like he didn't have to do that he could just like scatter in hints throughout and then at the end reveal the twist right mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Neither is really like an objectively worse choice. Um, but I think, but like, this is a choice that he made here. I think uh, it's possibly like, it's better to do it this way in a kid's book where like the, the hints have been dropped very obviously throughout the book. Like people, like whenever it comes up, it's like addressed in a conversation. And I think this is a good way of addressing the fact that the hints are so obvious by having the characters actually like talk it through rather than making them seem kind of dumb by ignoring it. Yeah, I people don't people don't like mysteries where their characters are just like, ah, I don't really care. Like it's good yeah. that they're invested in it. I think this this kind of plays into another thing that I really liked across these chapters. To go on a slight tangent, I've been like rewatching The Expanse lately. Oh yeah. And one of the things that I really enjoy about that show is especially early on, something will happen and then we cut to all the different like factions and people in the solar system and what their like conclusion about what happened was. And they're always like different conclusions and they're almost always wrong, but you can always see and understand how the characters came to that conclusion based on the information and biases they have. And I think that's something Rick does here like really well. Like you completely understand why everyone at Camp Half-Blood assumes that Hades took the lightning bolt. And likewise, when we get to Hades later on, you absolutely can see how he's put together that actually this is all Poseidon's fault. It's just, it's really good attention to detail to make sure that every character has a consistent motivation and worldview. Extremely. It's, it's, it's good writing. Rick? Exactly. Good writing. I'm just, I'm looking at the stuff we have of like different historical figures in Hades. And I think there is definitely some like thinking emoji stuff in here. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, we go to the, when they're in the underworld, they, they talk about Annabeth is like the, the judges of the dead. Like there are three of them at a time. They rotate and they <laughs> and they they're like here to decide where your eternal soul goes, basically. Mm-hmm. And the people she names are uh Oh, I I've they, got it. It's um King Minos. Thomas Jefferson and Shakespeare. This is maybe the funniest trio of people who I would never want judging my soul. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, okay, King King Minos, I understand. Uh, it's an ancient like, Greek figure. It's whatever. They're they're a freebie. You can have one of those. Yeah, and he's like, I think like in the myths or whatever, it was like the judges of the dead were like him and his brothers, and okay. so it makes sense that he's on there. Then we got Thomas Jefferson. Are you fucking kidding me? Why Rick? is why is Thomas like I mean, it kind of almost feels like a joke. I don't it's probably not, but it feels like one of those jokes that's like, get it? Because he's like a really bad person, but he's like judging people's eternal souls. Well no, but like Shakespeare is not like Shakespeare is hated by English students like me the world over. But nobody else really holds that kind of animosity that a lot of people have towards Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, true. And it's, it's, it, I guess it's one of those very telling things about, like, an author. I think, like, sorry, I was just going to say, like, I don't think, I think Rick is very up to speed on his Greek myths. I don't think he reads a lot of history. <laughs> I, I certainly, yeah, it doesn't feel that way. Because, like, he, he draws another historical comparison between figures uh, a few pages later, which I see happening all the time, and it pisses me off every single time. Which one is that? Uh, let's see. Hades' aura was affecting me, just sorry, just as Ares had. The Lord of the Dead resembled pictures I had seen of Adolf Hitler or Napoleon. Now, yeah. Napoleon was not a good person. No. He was a warmonger who tried to like reinstitute slavery in the French Empire. Uh-huh. He was not Hitler. No. Like no. it's this re- really weird enduring historical narrative that like the Napoleonic Wars were just World War II but with France. Which is just if you know anything about either war, you know that's not true and it's really weird to see it come up here. A very historical comparison. And also to see him directly compare both of them to Osama bin Laden. I mean, that's not really... There's not, like, a direct comparison there. Like, Uh... it's just, like, he looks... 
Percy says he looks like the like the leader of a terrorist organization or something like that. This was written in 2006. He means Osama. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It's that those are all three very different looking people. And that is also true. And I guess this is confirmation to what we were talking about a few episodes ago that Hitler was a demigod. <laughs> Wait, is it? oh no? Oh. I mean, if he if he looks like you, if he, if he you're looks so like right. Hitler, this is I didn't I didn't even pick up on that because I was so busy being frustrated about the like historical comparison. But you're right that that it really is the implication here. Yeah, and I I don't really like in stories when Hades is like the big evil guy. Like, he's just another god, really. He's not more evil than any of the other ones or anything. Well, that's so that's it, even, like, in this chapter. So, yeah, you're right. That's really weird. Yeah. Because there's, like... It's interesting because, like, Hades is, like... I'm not sure what it... I guess... Okay. I just had a mild, like, brain thought about what it could be. Maybe it's, okay. like... Hades, like... Like has the same aura as these people because they're people who, like, cause a lot of death or something. Well, that's what I read it as the first time, but I, I really am, like, thinking emoji at the thing you said, and I think you might be onto it, onto something, yeah. to be honest. And I mean, I'm certain that I am also correct, because it's just... It's it's terrifying, and... Considering the other, like, World War II lore that we've gotten in this book, I think you're right. Yeah, unfortunately. And the... I don't know, because I think when you compare a character like this guy is like a terrorist leader or like Hitler, like that's some, <laughs> like you're never going to be able to look at that character and be like, OK, this guy's cool. I don't know. So I guess Hades is like the evil guy in the series now. I don't know. I guess so. Even though the this chapter also kind of directly, like implicitly compares him to just being basically the same as every other god. Well, I was going to say that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about his like portrayal in this chapter is it's almost like an inversion of what we get with Mr. D at Camp Half-Blood and it kind of paints them all in the same light by doing that. Yeah, he's he's just another arrogant god convinced of his rightness basically. Well, it's also it's also yeah, it he's out, he's really conceited, absolutely convinced that he's correct. And I really like the idea that like they go in and see this huge, like, regal-looking... Like, I think Percy even says this is the first time he's seen a god that looks like a god. Yeah, he's ten foot tall and, like, horrifying. And then he starts shouting about his expenses and his commute. <laughs> it's... There's so much good humor in this scene. Like, yes. <laughs> like Percy just like has like a brain like a brain like mo moment for a minute there, and like while they're arguing, he's like, "Oh, by the way, Caron wants a pay raise," and Hades like, "Don't, <laughs> don't get me started on Caron." <laughs> it's really good. And like Percy wondering if people's like faces are stitched into Hades' underwear. I mean, it's the same kind of tone as, like, in the, the 2020 video game Hades, where, like, Hades keeps setting fire to his capes, and then later on you go into his room and find a cupboard full of capes. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah. Which is why it's so weird to me that, like, he's just, like, put in this, like, explicit box of, like, the evil god. Yeah, it's like, oh, this guy's actually not that different to the other gods. And is also kind of a petulant ass. But also he might be Hitler's dad. Yeah. It's it's weird. Um let's talk a little bit about the Santa Monica part. The initial description of Santa Monica Beach is like I thought this kind of built on the theme that you were talking about like a few weeks ago regarding the theme of the book seems to be like, you know, keep in touch with the reality, don't just get distracted by your laptop or your phone or whatever. And I think the way that um the beach is described as like oh it's exactly like on tv except way dirtier and with more pollution kind of plays into that theme of like having to like examine reality for yourself yeah i agree and it's it's like weirdly excellent like like this is a pretty well-written book but the prose in santa monica <laughs> is like weirdly excellent like noticeably so oh definitely like just it evokes such a strong image of what it looks like with like Again, characteristically, I have to call it now, 
like just really sparse, well executed uh, writing. Yeah, I don't really, ha- I don't have any idea what Santa Monica Beach looks like, but I could just like envision it in my head while I was reading. It's. I mean, I was just kind of envisioning the beach from Grand Theft Auto Five because it's the same thing. But yeah, I get what you mean. <laughs> okay, gamer. <laughs> don't call me that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll forgive you this once, but don't do it again. Anyway, let's talk about Hades some more. The video game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to point also, out. Oh, sorry. Go. I'm make, I was going to make a joke, so you go first. I was just going to say, um, there's a a line in here about like Percy's talking about how different this is. This beach is from Montauk, and like how far away it seems to him now. And it's just like a really nice little nod to how far he's come, both in terms of distance and as a character since then. Yeah, he's made it to the other side of the continent and like mm-hmm. as a changed boy. Yeah, like, he has a dog shark now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The shark is so wonderful. He pets it and it's perfectly smooth. And it's like, I don't know. I think this is really important because people need to realize that sharks are perfectly smooth to the touch and you can pet them like a dog. Everyone should do this. Everyone Just go should out straight into the ocean and try and touch the shark. Please do. <laughs> Is and I guess a little bit of what you're talking about about like the themes and stuff. We get like stuff with, like the pollution in the river sticks. Yeah. There's, there's like an environmentalist theme to this book, kind of, or maybe not like a theme even, but like at least yeah, a, it's, um... it's not something that the plot really gets into, but it's definitely like it keep, it sure does keep showing up. Yeah, it's a consistent element of it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a motif. It's a bit of a light motif. Um, I was wondering if because the 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 like the cover to the interest of the underground, underground the underworld, um, is a recording studio. Mm-hmm. DOA record was very funny. Dead on arrival recording studio. Very very good. But wait, I thought it was dead or alive. And I was like, should, should he not get sued for putting the beach volleyball thing in his book? I don't think that's right. I think it's, I think DOA usually means dead on arrival. I yeah, I think be... your thing is correct, actually. <laughs> My thing is, is dumb and bad. I mean, it's not dumb. It's just very funny. And <laughs> I guess like, like like you said about me earlier, it's very indicative of your brain. Hey, I mean, yeah. So is this like, is this commentary? <laughs> like, on like media the music industry it's like draining talent dry like i it's, it's media i don't know like what's the, is there like a joke here like beyond just the name of it of like it being a recording studio yeah because like the other places where we found monsters that have set up shop or like greek heroes and stuff is like it's been places that are directly relevant to like how that creature works it's like medusa has a garden full of statues and Krusty has, you know, he tries to kill people with hospitality, so he has a shop full of beds. But I'm not sure how a recording studio is directly relevant to, like, the underworld. I, I, I have to assume it's, like, some kind of, like, joke about, like, the industry. I don't know. I don't know if, like, Rick has, like, Rick Riordan has any, like, experience with, the, like, the music industry or whatever, but, like... Rick hates music and never listens to it, which is why he created Percy Jackson, the musical, so that he had music he could listen to. I I've been dreading us talking about Percy Jackson the musical for so long. <laughs> let's, let's I'm just... we're gonna have to cover it, and I'm terrified. I hope it's really good. I hope I'm sure. I'm I, sure it yeah, everyone. I'm makes... sure the lots of hard work went into it, regardless, covering yeah. our bases. Okay, I have to say this. It's another curse thing, and I'm sorry, but like, is it the car on as a tumbler dome? I was gonna say that if <laughs> God, I hate that. <laughs> I was. I was gonna say that if this book came out like in like 2014, Caron would have been like Tumblr's blonde British whitewashed soft boy. Fuck, I hate that, and you're so right. He would be like the you know like the Cecil from Welcome to Night Vale if if this book came out. And there that would era. be so many animatics of him singing that song from the Lorax. Oh god. <laughs> and like he is he sounds like an attractive gentleman and all. So I guess it's like it's fine. But he wears a fine suit and insists that people call him sir. He is a tumbler daddy doll. Oh god. 
I don't want to think about it. Well, I don't want to think about the thing you said. <laughs> let's let's both agree to never discuss Charon again. That sounds good. Okay, so Charon's lobby. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think of this scene? Uh, I really like the scene where, um, like, Grover and Annabeth are just, like, talking to Percy and encouraging him and saying, yeah, we'll we'll get through this, this whole thing together. I think it's just a really good illustration of how close they've gotten as friends. It's just really sweet. Yeah, I agree. Um, hmm. It's just really nice how their relationship is developed. And because they, like... Annabeth was like kind of a jerk at first, or like to Percy at least, uh, at first, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. Grover was just goofy boy, and now they're yeah. like a like a tight knit group, and this like pays off really well too in the like the Hades, uh, Hades chamber scene. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, my heart was there when Annabeth and Grover were like, sacrifice us, you know. It's like the big ultimate choice of the book. And it's so effective because of like how well drawn and consistently his emotional state has been throughout like the whole thing. Absolutely, yeah. Like you 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 like understand why he can't do this and you also understand why he feels absolutely terrible for doing it. Absolutely. I it's it's really good. This everyone, good book. Good book. Also I do I do want to quickly uh I don't know if I want to issue a correction. I just want to query something you said, uh-huh. which is you, you said that uh, Charon would be like Tumblr's whitewashed boyfriend. Uh-huh. And I can't tell if you just meant like, oh, because he's pale or if it's because the book like specifically mentions that he's black, but everyone would definitely draw him as white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's what I meant. Just checking. He's, he is the character who everybody, everybody's eyes would like, you know, accidentally, like, drift over that part, you know. Oh, how could that possibly have happened? Mm, I wonder. (laughs) Anyway, I'm I'm sorry. No, no, it's good good to clarify. I feel like one of the big things that I wanted to talk about today Mm -hmm. was the descriptions of, like, the different regions of the afterlife. These are so good. I think, like, definitely, like, the best and most evocative one to my mind, is the one of Asphodel. Right, I'm just going to read it. Okay. Uh, imagine the largest concert crowd you've ever seen, a football field packed with a million fans. Now imagine a field a million times that big, packed with people, and imagine the electricity has gone out, and there is no noise, no light, no beach ball bouncing across the crowd. Something tragic has happened backstage. Whispering masses of people are just milling around in the shadows, waiting for a concert that will never start. This is so good. That's like, just like that's gorgeous prose. It is, and it's it's building so effectively on like the very horrific tone that was set up in the lobby, mm-hmm. um, because like and the entire trip through the underworld is just like terror is kind of terrifying, and like yeah. sort of different modes of horror. And this specific one is it. it it's like. I read every sentence of it, and I'm like, yeah, exactly, perfectly, yes, I don't know. This, this had me thinking about the Oracle again, and remembering, oh yeah, Rick's like actually really good at this horror shit. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if he's ever written a horror book, but if he has, I'd be very interested in reading it. Hell yeah. I don't know if this is unfair. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's very telling of, I guess, sort of the authorial worldview um and this is a pretty common point of view on the world because we get the idea that like most everybody who has ever died is in asphodel which is where just like if you didn't do anything in life at all you go there Mm -hmm. and then like the next most amount of people are like in the fields of punishment Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then you have very few people in elysium for like the best of the best and then, like, almost no people in the Isles of the Blessed for, like, the people who were, like, reborn three times and managed to achieve Elysium three times. Yeah. I think this is, like, a cynical worldview, right? I don't know if it's going too far to say that it's a kind of a great man theory worldview. A little bit. Um, where it's like, if you're Gandhi, you get into Elysium. If you did anything less than that, fuck you. You live in Asphodel now. Yeah, and, like... 
I guess one can only hope that Gandhi is like in the fields of punishment, but like, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not like opposed. I don't know how based this is in like Greek myth or anything. Like, I don't know if there's like a thing in there that's saying like, you know, like lo and I am Homer and I am saying that most everybody went to Asphodel, blah, 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 blah. And like, most most people suck and like i don't know i don't know if there's any like most people just spend their lives vibing yeah and like i don't know i'm sure there are people listening who are like oh whatever like this sound this is right people do just like do nothing with her i don't know it doesn't feel right to me though do you know what i mean yeah i suppose you could i'm just thinking about this now you could possibly take a more sympathetic read of it which is that like rick has spent a lot of this book like highlighting problems like environmentalism and like weird cynical media stuff with like doa studios and the news media persecuting percy yeah and like highlighting those issues and saying well hey reader you should aspire to do good in your life you know i hadn't thought of that but that's really true um i think because as like an extension of the theme that people need to care about things right Mm -hmm. that like like we get I think that's that backs up some of like why the I guess like explicit like hey there's a lot of pollution and it's killing gods out there like like a lot <laughs> of that stuff isn't like too intrusive because it kind of fits with what we're what with, with what the book is saying the whole time right exactly yeah it's it's interesting it's I that's a, that's a good that's a good point of view to take on on the on the question like I think that um this is a book for kids again. So like yeah. you want kids to be like, I want to go out and do something great with my life. Like that's a, that's a good message. Like I want, you want people to want to help the world. Yeah, exactly. Or it's great man theory and it sucks. One of these things is true. Yeah. It's one of these things. Uh, I, I have enough room in my heart currently to accept a more optimistic uh, idea, but you know, I guess we'll see yeah. as the series progresses. I, I feel like Rick's on the benefit of the doubt for now. Yeah. Okay. I need to talk. Let's talk about the moment, like the big moment in this chapter, in this, in these chapters. Which one? There's several. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, uh, the Hades scene. Okay. I just want to say, first off, I knew it. I knew that Ares wasn't trustworthy from the moment he stepped <laughs> on the scene. And I think that, like, like in that very first episode where I was like, Ares probably wants to expand his, like, war or whatever. Or, like, in, like, episode Yeah, you did predict this, like, almost exactly. I, and I don't want to be, like, I, I, I just want to give myself a pat on the back. And. You, you deserve it. Because I took, I did the opposite thing, read this chapter. And completely missed that it was a Hades vil- an Ares villain reveal. What did you think it was? Okay, so based on what I remember of this book, um, what I think, what I thought was going on, was that um, Kronos is in um, Tartarus, and he's been the one pulling the strings on like everything. Mm. And when uh, the trio went down there, um, when Grover got pulled down there by his shoes, Kronos uh, magically slipped the lightning bolt into Percy's rucksack to fuck with him, basically. I see, I see. It, and- it's a harrowing scene with like more really like great description and also like a really clever resolution to like an arc that's gone through the whole book. Yeah, and I guess let's give you a pat on the back too for <laughs> saying not to trust <laughs> those shoes. Thank you. I mean, for different reasons than I said not to trust them. I mean, who knows? Who knows what the truth is in this world, wild world of ours? I mean, I thought the plan was to just fly Percy 500 feet in the air and then strike him repeatedly with lightning. <laughs> that... But I guess he'd need to be holding like a metal cable all the way up. Otherwise True. the lightning wouldn't be attracted to it. Well, I don't know. I feel like if Zeus was like... He just saw that he was really high up in the air. He could just like do a good toss of that. You could, could just like hit him with like golf ball sized hailstones until he like died of internal bleeding. <laughs> That's horrifying, but you're right. <laughs> uh, I guess since we're talking about like the big concepts at play in these in these chapters, um, let's talk about the biggest concept of all: Cerberus, the biggest boy. We love this boy. We get. I I, I love this. Yeah, because. 
Yeah, because we see Cerberus and he's like this big dog and he's so scary. But and then like Percy just like tries to like play with him and Cerberus has no time for it. Mm-hmm. And then Annabeth is like, get out of my way. I've got this. And just like is she's playing with the dog and it's so nice. I love that I love that like like my dog will do this to me also. Like if I try to play with him with a toy that he doesn't want, he will just sit and stare at me. And then as soon as I pick up one that he does want, he's immediately like he's immediately ready to play. Yeah, that's that's the dog experience for sure. Hey, the bit where um Cerberus is like sad that Annabeth left uh did destroy me emotionally. Yeah, I don't want Big Dog to be sad ever. Yeah, someone want... play with the big dog. Please, Hades, you have you're you are ten foot you are ten feet tall. You you there is nothing stopping you from going and playing with this doggy. So we've talked about the very blessed Cerberus content. Uh and now I'd like to bring us to a very cursed thought. Yeah? Is this a deliberate Harry Potter reference? Uh... <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I hate that I'm right about this. But like the, the trio are facing as their first obstacle to getting to like the climax of the book, a big three-headed dog. And <sighs> listen, I know that the dog in Harry Potter was inspired by Cerberus, but I'm I'm saying yeah. that like narratively I feel like this yeah. decision was inspired uh-huh. by Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh-huh. God, I hate talking about it. <laughs> no, I'm not happy I mean, about it. You're right. <laughs> but I just hate to hear it. And this, <laughs> this is a better encounter than the one of Fluffy. Like... I mean, yes. Like... Okay, sing the song, put the dog to sleep, whatever. Well, it's just the dog tries to kill them, and then the dog is asleep. At no point do they play with the dog. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, they they admonish Hagrid for having the dog, which is incorrect. It's it's absolute poppycock, as the British would say. Because... J.K. Rowling hates animals. Rick Riordan likes animals, and is therefore, <laughs> in that respect, and many others, the superior author. Based in Rick pilled. Yes. <laughs> Based That's in the... Cerberus pilled. That's the name of our new podcast, based in Rickfield. It's the exact same <laughs> podcast, except for like Gamergate, far right. I don't know. No, <laughs> we talk about that shit so much on here already. Yeah, I know it's sad. Um, <laughs> I and I, I like to be able to say like based in blank pill without having to think of the of, of the of the connotations. It's true, my friend. You are based and Jane pilled. Thank you. Yeah, one of the one of the okay, and the other big concept to play here, we learned that okay. um, like we see a preacher, like an evil preacher who stole money from the church, and like I love this bit so much. Yeah, we see him like being tortured in hell or in the fields of punishment, and Percy's like, but wait, he's a Christian, right? So why is he in in the underworld? And Annabeth is like, or Grover or someone is like, well, he's he's seeing something else, probably. Grover actually, it's Grover that says that, and he has a very funny line where he's like, humans are very stubborn, I mean, persistent that way. Yeah, it's it's good. I, It's a funny idea, like, the idea that, like, everybody goes to the exact same place, but, like, they just see it differently depending on, like, how like their worldview was and they were alive that's cool mm-hmm. i guess uh, yeah i we did talk about like the uh the idea that like does the christian god exist or whatever does the christian god exist is jesus a demigod these are all questions that rick needs to answer yeah and we talked about that a little bit earlier in like one of the earlier episodes but like i wonder like would the the big cloud man not Zeus? Uh, the other one. The other one. Would would he be like? Or you know, I I've got like I'm cool with this Greek stuff going on. <laughs> like, 
I want this series to end with Percy killing the Christian god. Same, and that's all I can ask for. (laughs) Um, The sentence, he died in a police chief when his Lamborghini for the Lord went off a cliff, is the funniest thing I've ever read. (laughs) Oh god, there's so much funny stuff. I was like, literally like laughing at points, like it was just like really good. Yeah. Like, it's really uh, impressive that this manages to hit, like, emotional gut punches and also just really funny uh, interactions in the same few short chapters. Yeah, we get, like, a good emotional moment at Santa Monica, too, because, like, we learn that, like, Poseidon, like, can't see Percy because that would be, like, against the rules, basically. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, the uh, naiad is basically, like... Does she say, like, like your father cares about you, basically? Basically, he's not allowed to show favoritism to any mortal, especially his own kids. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but that's that's the gist. Yeah, and it feels like, I guess, I don't know, it feels like one of the first moments that, like, Percy has received, I guess, validation from that side. I mean, I guess the first time was when he fell into a river and didn't die. But, like, and I guess, I mean, okay. I guess when Poseidon acknowledged him as his kid, like, that was also kind of that. I don't know, I feel like that and him surviving when he falls into the river, you can kind of write those off as, well, Poseidon needs Percy to do this for him, or he's fucked as well. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the first time we hear that, oh no, Poseidon may care about Percy as more than just a tool to use to avoid getting his head kicked in. Yeah, and it's possible that this... Maybe this random naiad is making that up to make Percy feel better or whatever, but like... Mm-hmm. I do remember that we meet Poseidon at the end of the book, so we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited. I am... Okay. I'm very excited for the end of this. We we end with, like, Hades being like, I'm gonna unleash the dead upon the world. That's such a cool idea. <sighs> and then, like, they get back up to the beach, their, their pearls, like, send them back into the sea, and they see, like, that Los Angeles is just, like, on fire. It's, yeah, it's a really good, like, cliffhanger moment. Yeah, and they're, like, it's the day of the solstice. They have to get all the way back across the country to, <laughs> in one day, less than one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I am gripped. Uh, we just did three chapters this week. Did we mention that already? Because, like. Did, did we only do three? Yeah. Oh, okay. We didn't mention that because I didn't know. Yeah, we only, <laughs> I mean. You also read only just three chapters, but... I read them a few days ago. <laughs> I understand, I understand. But, like, we did that because there there were only six chapters left in the book, so we wanted to mm-hmm. divide it evenly. So next time we'll be finishing Percy Jackson... Next time we'll be finishing The Lightning Thief. Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief. You had, you had it correct the first time. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I was going to say Percy Jackson and the Olympians, but there are still four, four more books after this, so. No, let's just read the last few chapters from the last book. Yeah. Be fine. And Percy got a gun. And, oh, no. His scar hadn't hurt in years and all was well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. I'm sorry. I don't mean to bring this curse on this blessed space. Let's talk about our segment. Uh, 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 Percy Jackson isn't cishet evidence. Percy thinks that a uh, waterbed with lava lamps in it is like a cool and fashionable thing to own. And I think that level of like un- unabashed glory and tackiness is something you only find when you're not cishet. Absolutely true. Uh, my, my evidence is that. Uh, Percy finally receives like a gift and like some validation from his father, but it's in like a very roundabout way that still isn't direct. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's it's in an ambiguous way, which could be taken back later. Yeah, uh, we live in a fun world. We live in a society. Everyone, we live in a Percy society. Percy is persecuted by the media. It's media. Let's wrap it up now for real. Let's let's do that. You can find us uh, at Unwise Girls Pod on Twitter. Uh, no, it's it's um, the, the the Twitter is just Unwise Girls. The Gmail is Unwise Girls Pod. Thank you. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Swamp Duchess. And you, you finally have a, uh, a, a Twitter too, right, Jared? I, I finally got around to making a meme just for this podcast. Yeah. And I've actually forgotten what the... What the um, you can find Jane URL. at, uh, I think, Janie Shivers. That sounds right. If it's not right, I'm sure it'll be in like the description of our podcast Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can also... Uh, you can rate us if you want to. Five stars, preferably, if you're nice. If you're mean... Why are you listening? We're we're a nice podcast. Um, if, if you're mean to us, we can understand you listening to the first episode. But if you've gotten this far, you should probably just do something you enjoy. Yeah, honestly. Um, and you can look at you can look us up on Patreon at Unwise Girls, where we have. If you want to support the show, it would be really appreciated. We have a few. We have a we have a some we have some costs. Um, that it would be nice to get back. Yeah. Wait, do we do we want to recommend some media or things we've been playing very quickly? Okay, we do that sometimes. Uh, sure. We do, we do do that when we remember to. What's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is I've I've already mentioned it earlier, but I've been like rewatching all of the Expanse, and that's that's such a good show. I love the spaceships and the way that they go burr. I spaceships are very funny. I I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, my recommendation is to read uh... The Expanse. No. Oh. No. Funny, Jane, you say a wrong thing. My recommendation is to read an easy introduction to love triangles to pass the exam. It's a, a Yuri manga by Kano. Um, it's about... It's a like a poly Yuri manga, so it's about three girls whose relationships are developing together. It's really nice. It's completed. It's not too long, so you can just read it all. Uh maybe buy some of it. Uh it's very good. Check it out. That sounds really cute. Yeah. And as we always say, no, wait. And as we say every week. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Da <laughs> <laughs>